Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. It's the last day of May and a scorching day temperature-wise. We're going to cover off the issue of what we deal with with threats in school. Not just threats, but pellet guns. There have been three kids charged with pellet gun crimes, including the shooting of a 17-year-old girl that had to go to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. What is this? We'd be talking a lot more about it, wouldn't we, if she was stabbed, if she was shoved in a violent act? This is a problem, and we need to make sure schools are safer than they actually are right now. So let's get our heads out of the sand here and have a conversation about it on the show. We'll talk to NDP education critic, and she'll weigh in on this issue as well, uh, Marit Stiles, MPP for Davenport, and a few other things along the way. So thanks for listening to Toronto Today, which starts now. So when do threats rise to the level of actions? That's going to be a really interesting call here. Two stories, one of which we knew about yesterday, um, and the other one it just coming in, in terms of the uh, pellet gun arrest that Dave Bradley referenced in the story. Let me start with the ones in Aurora. This is an odd one. Two teens in Aurora in custody after police say a video surfaced of a teen making threats while holding what appeared to be a firearm. Uh, they didn't name schools, but near where the video was made, two schools got placed in a hold and secured during the day yesterday. Here's the issue. And I don't have a great answer for this. I know my primal instincts are to say, let's make certain that 14 and 15 year olds understand they will be judged as adults when it comes to threats. There's certain things. Of course, we should give wiggle room for uh, people in a younger demographic. Of course, we should. But 14s and 15-year-olds, if you own, there's a lot of boxes checked here. They own replica firearms. They put them on the video. They decided to not just make the video, but instead of deleting it or making it for their own enjoyment or for the enjoyment of five or six friends, and you all know what happens. You send a video out. (laughs) You even do that via email or anything among a group of friends. You're like, oh, God, maybe there's just too many people there. Maybe someone's got loose lips. Maybe there's a, a, a spy in the works. Um, I've watched this happen before with, you know, things as simple as parents, WhatsApp, WhatsApp groups with sports teams. I've, I know this has happened certainly in the workplace, your workplace potentially as well. Before all this existed, you could have a proper conversation with somebody. I'm not talking about offensive stuff and I'm not talking about things that would uh, would be taken the wrong way. But that's not what this is. This is a video of a teenager making threats while holding what looks like a gun. Now, police aren't going to release the video. I'm okay with that. We've talked a lot in the last couple shows Friday after what happened in Scarborough on Thursday with the uh, man being shot, which, again, it's it's a joke. The special investigations unit, we don't know more about that right now. I've talked to enough parents in the last few days in that area who want, you know, who want details, data, anything about what was going on. Were these schools targeted? Was this guy wandering around? Did he have a plan? Did he have no plan whatsoever? Cops know more than they're saying, but because a shooting was involved, it goes strictly into the box of special investigations. And that's not right. That creates an element of mistrust. There's cops, obviously, that are sometimes involved in in SIU investigations that probably want the public to know they were doing the right thing because maybe, just maybe, they were. But it creates suspicion and creates distrust. The less you the less you tell somebody about something like this in particular. Now, there's the other factor with this particular case. They can't name the accused under the Youth Criminal Justice Act. I don't care if they're named. 
I don't care if, if the video is released. I understand protecting the identity of people that are minors. I would say this. Strict punishment should be involved here. This is about sending a message, and a message can often involve punishment. A message isn't just a warning. A message isn't just a slap on the wrist. Here's something else that nobody ever talks about, and I've never quite understood why. Think about what punishes a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old before they're an adult. What punishes them? Well, I don't want them out of school. School is beneficial to kids. You can get people on the right track with school, with potentially athletics. Here's what I do to 14 and 15-year-olds. You can't get your driver's license. You can't go and get your driver's license. We're going to punch your number in. Your social insurance number goes in. You're trying to get your beginners. You're trying to take driver's ed. Sorry, not going to happen. Also not going to happen. I don't know why we don't even think about that. We only take driver's licenses away for in, um, incidents and, uh, and egregious fouls, if you will, involving driving. Why? It's the one thing. I thought about that with the St. Mike's punishment. Oh, probation. They're going to get some community hours. Take their damn licenses away for four or five years. I think that's a pretty happy medium. That, that damages. That, that's a great deterrent to say, we're going to take something that's a seminal part of growing up, of independence, of freedom, and you don't get to do it for X amount of years because of what you were involved in. I understand sending a 17-year-old St. Mike's private school kid to jail with what, what seemed to be almost clearly an egregious violation of another student beyond the obvious, okay? But taking their license away seems like a start. And I would do just that if these two individuals are guilty in this particular case. Then we have this other incident. What's with kids today, you're asking? What? We're leading the whole 7 o'clock hour two days before election with kids being bad kids. Three teens are facing charges after separate pellet gun shootings at two schools in Toronto. We got to take this a little more seriously. I had a friend of mine, Mike Fletcher, who was on a baseball team a year younger than me. He lost his eye from a BB gun. And it was at that point in time at at age 10, at age 11, he might have been. So I'm a year older um, and he's on our team. Good player. He played. He came back after about a month or so with a patch over his eye um, and playing baseball. Suffice to say, he wasn't the same player. And we didn't even know how to talk about this terrible tragedy with him. We were just glad it was it was just the eye. It could have been much, much worse. This first incident, police called to a school in the city's West End at 1245 yesterday. A 17-year-old girl was taken to hospital after being shot with a pellet gun. A 15-year-old boy has been charged with possession of a dangerous weapon. I'd love to know why he's not charged with more than that. Why isn't this an assault? If he'd punched the girl, slapped the girl, thrown her into a locker, as opposed to shooting her with a pellet gun. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know the gun was going to go off. Too bad. I don't care. I'm Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive again. You're responsible for your actions. Let's make people who are old enough to bring a pellet gun to school and old enough to, yeah, drive at some point in time, accountable for their actions. Then after four o'clock, police called to a second school, totally unrelated. A 15-year-old boy shot in the head and arm with a pellet gun on school property. And I mentioned this on Friday. This this kid's going to be fine. He was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. But imagine that call if you're a parent. Imagine that call if you're an older brother or sister. Your 15-year-old was shot with a pellet gun. Maybe you put the pellet gun part in first to worry them a little bit less. Police found two teen boys with pellet guns a short distance away. Again, I know the easy answers here. Expel these kids. Get them out of school. 
that does minimal for their long-term their, their long-term benefit. Keep them in school. Maybe they want to be out of school. Don't let them drive. Don't let there's got to be methodology we can utilize here to hit kids where it would hurt them the most. Maybe jail's too harsh. Maybe uh, probation's not harsh enough and community service and picking up garbage and and going and volunteering somewhere isn't enough. But these are big stories here. I don't I don't generally do the crime beat because stuff's going to happen in life. It's going to be a fire here and a shooting here. Those are news stories. They're not necessarily talk topics. I'm not diminishing them. I've been on both sides of that fence. But this, if this doesn't tell you we got a chronic problem and we need to have more of a conversation about this, I, I don't even give it a second thought when my kid goes to 10th grade every day that someone's at that school with a pellet gun. I don't even give it a second thought, let alone a first thought. And you've got a girl going to hospital, a 17-year-old, and all the kid's been charged with is possession of a dangerous weapon? No, he did more than possess the weapon. He uh, he discharged it. He used it. He pointed it at somebody at a certain point in time. I don't know the motive. I don't know if he's just screwing around, but again, I could care less. Okay, you're screwing around reckless driving. You run over a kid at a crosswalk. We're not going to charge you with reckless driving. You're getting more than that. I don't get why this is any different. I'm eager to see where these cases go. We're joined right now by the uh, member of the provincial parliament for Davenport, uh, and she's the NDP education critic as well, Marit Stiles, our guest. It's great to have you on. Uh, you're two days away. Uh, by the way, I saw on your Twitter account, there's people are drawing portraits of you. You're popular in your writing if people are drawing <laughs> portraits of you because you probably hear uh, there's a there's a portrait of you drawn and then everyone's yeah. probably like oh i hope they get my good side i hope it looks somewhat <laughs> like me but it's not a bad not not a bad rendering it's not bad i have no idea who did it but it is pretty <laughs> darn good so i'm i'm happy <laughs> yes uh we're in an era sadly of uh, defaced uh, signs and terrible graffiti and whatnot oh, yeah. this is a positive this is a positive that someone it, thinks uh thinks that much of you and you're writing it's great it, it could be so much worse. <laughs> yeah, we've all faced the defacement and uh, and it's it's nice, you know, and I also have to say, I, I don't know who did it, but I've had a lot of kids involved in my campaign this time. Lots of like even little kids coming out with their parents. And uh, I, I think there's a, a lot of interest right now in in this campaign. And and that's good because I got to tell you that I think, you know, it's been it's been tough for the last few years. I think a lot of people aren't feeling real engaged in the whole in the whole election right now. Well, I, I noticed advance advance votings up. So does that tell you? And, and is that good for for the NDP? Is that it's often not good for the incumbent if there's a lot of advance voting? I know there were more the the days were extended out because a lot of people in the federal election. I don't know if it was your experience last fall, but a lot of people waited a long time. We had less places and less venues to go vote. So if we procrastinated and left it to the late afternoon evening, many of us were waiting for a long time, and many of us obviously wanted to avoid that this time around. Yeah, I, I think that it is actually a pretty good sign. Uh, advance polls are really good for folks because, like me, because it's it shows that folks are motivated. And usually, the people who are motivated are the ones who get want to get rid of the current government. So, and I think that's what's happening right now is there are a lot of people who want to see the conservatives gone, and they're getting out early because they're very motivated to do that. And like you said, I have to say, like I think the other big reason why advance polls are are increasing in popularity right now is that people, you know, had some bad experiences. They don't want to. They don't want to have to wait in line on election day. Uh, they want to make sure their vote gets counted. And so and so they go early. And it's also a ton more convenient for a lot of people. I love it. I think it's uh, it's great that this is becoming a more popular option. We'll talk about things province wide, but let's talk about your riding. You're right in the city in Davenport. 
What are the things you want to accomplish, regardless of the party status? If you're in government, if you're the opposition, what are things you want to accomplish at a, at a more micro than macro level for the people of Davenport the next four years? Well, that, that's thanks for asking. Um, I would say the big things in my community, one is um, making sure that the government moves ahead with electrifying trains, because my community, like a lot of places, is sort of defined by we have all these rails coming right through all the neighborhoods, which is great. We love trains. Mm. But there's going to be a lot of uh, more uh, diesel trains coming through our community uh, because we're going to be bringing more go trains in from Barrie and elsewhere. And that's great for our for our for commuters. It's great for the uh, environment overall. But we got to keep the conservatives uh, to their commitment that was that was made originally by the liberals then canceled then the conservatives said yes we will do it but we, we got to get the electric trains going it's because once you get those diesel trains going the air quality gets really bad and that'll be bad for my community the other really big one is we have a lot of, of development happening you know there's mm -hmm. a lot of big condos going up and stuff and I, I know i i hope that most of those i want more of them to be affordable for real people because affordability for of housing is a huge issue in my writing like it is everywhere right it's just like the number one issue in a lot of our communities and i just want to make sure that um when those developments go up because there's going to be more and more and more uh that there's benefits for the community so the people who end up living there the kids that live in those buildings will have um, good schools to go to that there'll be good other good services and parks and community mm -hmm. centers in the community that's the kind of thing like quality of life and affordability really big issues in my riding if the ndp can't form government how important is it to remain the opposition party what does that allow people like you to get mm -hmm. done and be dogged uh and you have been about about education what does that allow you to do that you wouldn't be able to do as mm. the, the party with the third most seats? Mm. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, like we're still we're still heading for government. We believe mm -hmm. we can do it. But I should say, I mean, I think that in opposition, I, I was proud to be a member of the opposition. Opposition is a very, very important role. And official opposition means um, that you get to sort of ask the questions first. Uh, it means you have more seats, which means you have a little bit more resources. I mean, each individual MPP pretty much is has the same resources any as any other until you get to be a minister or something. Uh, but we we uh, you know I think it's a really important role overall. And I, I got to say, opposition is critical in our democracy, right? Like obviously, obviously, like I want to form government so that we can get things really good, important things done for people. But when when we if we have a weak opposition, which we've seen in in the past. Uh, in, in other governments, then that we actually are doing everybody a disservice. We need a, a party that holds government to account, that grills them on the issues, that provides that accountability that, you know, people want and deserve, right? People want to make sure their government is is doing everything on the up and up. They want to make sure the legislation is going to help them, that, that, that it's going to actually make their lives better. And the role of opposition is to hold the government to account. It's really, really critical. One of the NDP's platforms when it comes to education is to end violence against education workers. And um, we're dealing right now with issues. I mean, there are so many issues that you and I talk about regularly, and, and they involve class sizes, and they involve prep time, and they involve things that are really important. But you must be mm -hmm. as disturbed as me to see some of the stories, even from yesterday in Toronto schools, about a 17-year-old girl shot with a pellet gun inside the oh. school, a couple other incidents um, you know, and it's not even under the uh, under the under the shadow of last week's horrific uh, school shooting in Texas. This would be the case if this was a year ago at this time or six months ago at this time. I don't know if teachers and principals feel helpless in these cases. 
I don't know how how you know how empowered they are, but it's really disturbing mm-hmm. stuff. It would never occur to me for my tenth grader to go to school and witness someone mm-hmm. being shot with a pellet gun in the hallways, Mark. Yeah, it's it is it's terrible, and I think we all as parents, uh, you know, find it terrifying. And I'm, I can only imagine. I, I have spoken to lots of education workers over the last few years, and even just in the last couple of days, and um, like teachers and others. And I, I think. And, and kids too, by the way, who mm-hmm. a lot of students are coming out and helping me on my campaign, which is amazing uh, because they feel like they want to see improvements too. I think we have to remember that what we've seen happening over the last, not just a few years, but like 10, 15 years, uh, even going back to the Harris years, is we've seen our dwindling of resources in our schools. So there are fewer, I always like to think of it this way, there are fewer adults in our schools right now than there used to be fewer caring adults so that means fewer people to help with mental health issues mm-hmm. guidance counselors uh you know support staff administration everything and i just think what is terrifying to me is that there just aren't more eyes on things uh and i think that that is an obvious uh solution it's an obvious thing we need to improve on uh, and if we had more of that including by the way more of those again can't stress enough more mental health supports in our schools directly there working with the kids, uh, I think we would see less of this. I, I really do. It's critical uh, because at the end of the day, it is about the roots of all of that, right? But in terms of the day-to-day safety, yeah, more adults, more people, more staff, that will make a huge difference. And I I want my kids and like, I want everybody's kids. My youngest is graduating from high school this year. I want all the little kids that are in school now to be safe. I want to make sure they have the best support they can, especially after the last few years. Government has to start to invest in that. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. We should all want the experience that we had in not just el- not just elementary school, but high school and, and later on in college. I'm fresh out of time. I want to wish you good luck uh, two days from now, and uh, hopefully we can have a conversation in early June before the end of school and tap into some more of these issues. Right on. Thank you so much. You got it. Mart Styles, uh, NDP education critic and MPP for Davenport. Quiz time. And Dave Bradley has our four for four quiz on this Tuesday morning. Yeah. And today is World Parrot Day. We didn't mention that in, in What Happened When. So I thought. <laughs> Par- we could do you do say parrot or parrot, the bird? Like bird. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, I, these things frighten me when they <laughs> stand Dude, over you. You're scared of everything, Brady. Uh, sharks, alligators, parrots. Really? You're scared Snakes. of parrots? Yeah. Because oh. they can talk. What's the parrot going to do to you? I What's don't, but that's the thing. I don't know. I see the talons. <laughs> yeah. There's judgment. Big talons, yeah. one, one of my wife's uncles had it just sitting in a cage over the breakfast table, and you'd be Stared like, Stared at you. Does he know? What does he know about me? Yeah. You he don't knows know. all your secrets. And, and he can talk. Right. He can yeah. talk. All right, but I love trivia about parrots, so we're rolling right now. I'm not scared of the quiz. I'm just scared of the actual bird. All right. The first one's going to be a true or false question. True or false, parrots eat with their feet. <laughs> So the option is eat with their feet or do they just peck with their beak? Greg. <laughs> I I want them to eat with their feet so badly. So I'm going to say true. Gord? I agree. I thought I thought they did do that. And Sheba? True. Yeah, it is true. They they grasp onto their food with one foot and then move it up to their beak so they can nibble on it. In fact, parents eat very similarly to how we do. Their toes act like fingers. Could we learn to do that? Could we, like... Fit like a hot dog when in between was, our, our when big toe. When I was toe a kid, I probably could, toe. but not anymore. Yeah, I could barely tie my shoes, man. What about a cracker? <laughs> but you would have to use the hands to maneuver your foot towards your mouth. So what's the point of doing it? Then? Yeah, 
No, like when you're younger, you're more flex- yeah. flexible, good, right? If, if there's any in. college students listening, yeah. that's a good stunt to show to your roommates <laughs> that you can eat with your feet. That's part of my exercise workout is tying my shoes. Yeah, put, exactly. some dur- <laughs> put some Doritos in. I mean, your feet are covered in those orange flakes from the Doritos afterwards. That's right. Yeah. There you go. Number two is multiple choice. How many different kinds of parrots are there? Whoa. Is there 256, <laughs> 795, or Whoa. 393? Whoa. So different kinds of parrots Sheba 256 all right Gord let's go in the middle was it 700 something 795 yeah Yeah. okay and Greg what's the other option 393 oh I'll go 393 yeah you're right it is 393 Gord you asked to go for the middle and he gave you the high number I know he fooled me I would uh, I would take I would put place this match under protest (laughs) shuffled it around though I did it on purpose I saw it (laughs) I'm sure Number three is a true or false question. Parrots have vocal cords just like humans, so that's how they mimic sound. Sheba, is it true or false? True. And Gord? Let's go true. And Greg? False. It is false. They don't have vocal cords like humans do, but they use the muscles in their throats to direct the air differently, which allows them to mimic sounds like Uh. a ringing phone, a creaking door, barking dog, or even words in some cases, too. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of fun. Parrots are neat. Yeah. Uh, true or false? Final question. <laughs> Disagree. <laughs> Is it true or false that parrots eat both meat and vegetables? Are they omnivores? Gord? True. I think they are omnivores. All right. Greg? Uh, I think they eat both. Yeah. Omnivores. Sheba? I'm going to be different. I think they're herbivores. No, they are omnivores, yeah. actually. So yeah, why have those talons if you're not you going to use them? You give him exactly. a little piece of a quarter pounder. He's no, not, no, they're the, all over that, it. That cockatoo's not turning down. <laughs> no, yeah. like some McNuggets. Totally, they're but all over it. Even though they are omnivores, <laughs> you don't have to feed them meat. They'll be happy as a clam just to eat fruit and flowers and insects and nuts and stuff. Well, like yeah, that. they 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 should be grateful that we allow them to be so domesticated. They're yeah. you know. They, if they decide to take over, I say this about all birds. Yeah. They decide to take over. That's you're it the, for us. You're the first one on your. They're next- organized. <laughs> they know they what? they can escape easily. <laughs> they swoop. Well, I had birds swooping me for a long time. There was a nest coming oh. right out of our house. Oh, really? There's the root of the problem. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and I I would take an umbrella, put an umbrella up, leaving the house, and then run to the car under an umbrella on a brilliant really? sunny day like this. We got swooped for about a month. Wow. There was nothing funnier than watching your kid walk to school in like fourth grade and he'd get <laughs> He probably got pecked out a couple times and I'm like, yeah, it's just just the just paying the price to be a kid. That's I had right. a budgie for years. Toughen up. He was a great friend. Well, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. A budgie. That's Maybe different. a macaw. That's Maybe I've had bad experiences with macaws and cockatoos. Yeah. And yeah. My budgie was all right. We used to hang out and watch TV together. I just don't want Aww. anybody I don't want anybody repeating any everything I say. You can't cuddle with these things. Yep. No, well, some they, they do. Again, they judge you. They yeah. hear everything. They, they process. So I'm of a million minds of this debate about uh, gun control. There's a lot to this. And there's a lot to the idea that some of this is clearly performative to me. I, I, I praise the Trudeau government when I agree with something they're doing. I do think we need more background checks. I do think yesterday, here's what I would have liked to have heard yesterday. And we played you some of the audio earlier. Audio earlier. 
I'd like to hear more from people saying, let's do more if we can to psychologically evaluate potential gun purchasers. Okay. That's it's not the be all and end all, but but if you flunk that test, we can't let you purchase a weapon. I do like if you've been um, com- convicted of a of an assault crime, if you've been involved in any kind of stalking case, if you've um, committed domestic violence, you can't own a gun. But let's be honest. There's a common denominator in most shootings in the United States. Common, two common denominators. One, access to the weapons. The vast majority of them are bought legally. The vast majority of them are. But some degree of mental illness is also a common denominator. How do we balance that? How do we weigh it? And don't we need red flag laws? Many of the states that are getting success in limiting uh, some of these shootings and limiting just wanton random acts of violence beyond school shootings are utilizing red flag laws. I, I want enforcing I want existing laws to be enforced. I want criminals punished more than they are right now. But you'll hear cops say all the time, we take the gun away. We give some we put someone in front of a judge. We see that same person eight months later, 14 months later. It's not good enough. So are we collectively paying attention to all these breadcrumb trails left behind or are we not? Or are we not? Tracy Wilson's been on with us before. She's the vice president of public relations for the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. You know, you've been on with me before, Tracy. It's a complicated issue. Of course it is. What did you make of some of what you heard yesterday? And is some of what I'm getting at in terms of we got to have a layered, nuanced approach if we want to minimize mass shootings. Is that accurate also? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, good morning, first of all. Um, Yeah, I think every Canadian can agree that we don't want somebody who's violent or somebody who's dangerous or an abuser to get their hands on guns. And of course, in Canada, we have one of the strictest gun control regimes in the world. We actually already have uh, both red and yellow flag provisions Mm -hmm. that are already part of our laws. We have background checks. Um, You know, we have a lot of tools at our disposal. The problem is a lot of times we just don't have the resources to implement them. And I recently did an ATIP with public safety excuse me, to ask how many, when you apply for a firearms license, you have to provide two uh, character references. Now, these can be anybody who's known you for three years or longer. And the idea is that the Canadian, uh, that the Ontario or the provincial CFO, sorry, would um, contact these people, have a conversation just to see, you know, should this person have a firearm? Less than 10% of references are even contacted. Yeah. And when asked why, they just don't have the staff. They don't have the resources to do it. So, you know, we can pile on more laws all we want, but we're not using the ones already at our disposal. So, you know, I, I think it's disappointing. I would have liked to see um, a larger focus on the criminal use of illicit smuggled guns, which, of course, is uh, about 86% of uh, the guns used in Canada for crime are smuggled illicitly from the States. So, yeah, it's a gut punch to gun owners for sure. It it looks to me, um, the numbers I was looking at last night, it's almost a 50-50 split um, between guns that are imported, as you know, illegally. Um, That's an average of 1,140 a day into the country compared to about 1,000 new guns bought legally with a federal firearm license. So it's about half and half. Does that sound accurate to you? 
Uh, no, no, that's not accurate. About 86% of all guns used in violent crime are are sourced outside of the country illegally. Right, right. Used in violent crime. But I'm saying just yeah. brought into the country as it is. So so outside yeah. of, of the act of a crime, half the guns, if we found all the guns in Canada and threw them on a giant pile, what I'm saying is half would be bought legally, half would be illegally, illegally. But you're noting something that is true, that the vast majority of illegal acts are done with illegal guns, period. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So with the handgun provisions that were announced yesterday, there's about a million legal handguns in Canada already. So, um, you know, closing the market on that only closes the legal market for licensed RCMP vetted gun owners. The market for gangbangers who illicitly smuggle their guns across the border, they're, they're, they have nothing to do with this. So um, that's that's where gun owners sort of take offense. I mean, I, I would have liked to see more measures uh, focused on on reducing trafficking and smuggling. Tracy, what are some of those other um, safeguards in terms of the, the you mentioned the yellow and, and red flag laws? I, I think, again, so we agree that, yes, if you're if you've been com- convicted of an assault or a battery. Yes. No gun. Domestic violence. No gun. Stalking. No gun. What are other sort of, you know, no fly zones for you in terms of this person should not be able to own a firearm? So right now, there's about 3,000 people a year that apply for a firearms license that are denied for whatever reason. So the the process of becoming a legal gun owner is long and arduous and expensive and difficult. So you weed out a lot of people that way. And then, of course, you know, if if you do have a legitimate safety concern about a, a gun owner right now, there are a couple of ways you can deal with that. If it's an immediate concern, you can call 911. If it's mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily an immediate concern, um, but you want to report a safety concern, the RCMP firearms program has a 1-800 hotline number that you can call. And of course, if let, let's say if my husband was to call up and say, you know, uh, Tracy Wilson is violent. I'm worried about her. She's a mm-hmm. gun owner. There's a bunch of guns here. I need police right now. I can tell you exactly how that's going to go. And that's going to be an ERT response with my door getting kicked in, my guns being seized. It all already exists and it is used. So, um, you know, I agree. I, I don't want bad, violent people to have guns. And for the most part, the only guns they do have are illicit guns. So, mm. you know, we, we do have a pretty, pretty good regime in Canada. I'm I'm not sure what the value is in um, ending the, the sale of handguns to legal, legitimate sports shooters. I mean, we've owned them in this country before we were even a country. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. I don't either. I don't see I don't see the win. And I don't know that any less crime is going to be committed. Um, I, I just don't buy that. I, I don't buy it. When you see what's happening in, in the United States, if you could, you know, float down there and, and say this is a this is a fix. Some of the things that we're talking about, some of just some safeguards that might might prevent what transpired last Tuesday in Texas? What would they be? Well, I mean, I'm in no position to tell the Americans how to how to run their country or anything like that. But you look at our licensing system and it's got it's got a bunch of different layers of vetting. And then gun owners, once you're a gun owner, you are on um, something called CPIC, which is the Canadian Police Information System. And what it does is every single day, my name is run through a computer program that sets up any red flags. So if I, you know, if I got in a car accident and did some sort of act of road rage or got in a fight at a bar or did any sort of violent crime anywhere, that would flag in the system. And the police would say, oh, she's a gun owner. Let's go take her guns. So, you know, we've got a lot of systems like that. 
at the same time, I look mm. at um, something like the horrific tragedy that happened in Nova Scotia, the perpetrator of that crime. I'm not going to mention his name, yeah. but the perpetrator of that crime, he took the course to become a gun owner. But after looking at the Canadian licensing system and how difficult it is to get a gun and pass the vetting, he decided not to bother filing his application and he simply circumvented it and sourced his guns illegally. And we see mm. how that turned out. It was the worst mass shooting in Canada. So, you know, I I I, I think that um, in, in Canada, we got a very decent system. We should focus our resources on making mm. sure that we're using the tools we have to the full potential. And I think politicians should stop using horrible tragedies in foreign countries to punish their political opponents, which is how I how I feel today. I got 30 seconds. The AR-15, you'd know more about it than I would, um, but it it doesn't seem like an 18-year-old would have use for it. Should should that be a rifle, that uh, an assault weapon that's banned? Well, the AR-15 is not an assault weapon. In Canada, they're only semi-auto, and they're limited to five rounds. I'm a grandmother, and I own two of them. They have been banned, but to be perfectly honest, it operates no different than my hunting rifle and is far less powerful. So once again, it's a little bit of political theater. Uh, you know, Canadians support it because they they don't know any better, and I understand that. Um, but yeah, I mean, once again, in Canada, we have a a, a different pro- problem than they have in the United States. But it is it is, it is designed to kill people more quickly, is it not? It's designed to cause more havoc than your average rifle. No, the AR-15 was designed for sporting use. And there isn't a military in the world that uses it. So the idea that it's some sort of, you know, military grade or assault styled firearm, those are political terms that are made up. They don't exist. Uh, We're a military family here. My daughter serves in the uh, Canadian Armed Forces. And if we sent her out in the field with five rounds and a semi-auto, she'd be dead. Yeah. No, I, I, and, and like that for so many guns. I just see so many people describe it. It's a civilian version of a military weapon. And I know I know many people say it's not very different, but if it kills more people quickly and in larger numbers, that's why gun control advocates say it, it doesn't have a valid recreational use. And we should ask why well, civilians does, should own it. Yeah, it does. And does I mean, it? my hunting rifle is also semi-automatic in five mm. rounds and has a far bigger bullet. So, I, I mean, here's the, the, the end of the, the, the day. Guns, any gun is very dangerous in the wrong hands. And that's what we should be focusing on. Yeah, I, I agree. That's got to be a, that's got to be a focus. And that's why we need nuance and balance to all these conversations. Tracy, thank you very much for coming on with me this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Greg. You got it. Thanks for listening to Toronto today. We are back with a live show tomorrow, one day before the election and on the first day of June. So hope you can join us. You can listen at 640 Toronto.com or on the Radio Player Canada app. Have a great Tuesday. See you tomorrow.